This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to the Men in Blazers pod with me, Ranch. Michael is away on a family vacation golfing in the Carolinas. His alter ego, Dabo, also away catching sharks with dynamite somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Pesco, not the only thing we missed this week. There was no bloody Premier League football. I was bereft. I know you were too. Let's just say a weekend without Rebecca Lowe. It's like it's like an Arsenal game without the self-sabotage and protest planes. Fear not, though. I'm not alone. Because we did have the United States to keep us warm through the late winter blues. Not just any US team, but one that Bruce Arena has brought back from the dead, resurrected them like Cersei's alchemist Kyburn. And on the evidence of the two hex games, his US team have, to borrow the phrase, a young Alexi Lalas once used to sign his name on the child producer JW's poster back in 1992, the US have remembered to kick hard once again. And thank God, or thank God's messenger, Bruce Arena, though I'm really not sure where one deity begins and the other one ends. On this pod, we're going to speak to two distinguished guests. And by distinguished, I mean people who who know what they're talking about, which is progress for us. They're going to break down the storylines of the past six days of restored American life, the delirious night in San Jose, California, in which the goals overfloweth like wine, and the boy child, Christian Pulisic, born in a manger in Hershey, Pennsylvania, no crib for a bed, became a man. Oh, it couldn't have been better, I guess unless Freddie Adu trotted on and scored. And last night, the muggy affair in Panama City. If ever a football game was like watching the entirety of True Detective Season 2, let's just say the highlight for me was the colony of bats performing low-altitude flyovers over the field throughout the game. If you, dear listener, had money on fruit bats flying past camera in the betting for most conquer moment of the week, Please collect your winnings at the payout window. So on this pod, we've got two guests. Both of them, US internationals of your US striker turned ESPN wonder. Hercules Gomez will jump on to break down the two games and talk about the chosen one. Christian, the born again, Clint Dempsey. And where we should feel we are, somewhere between delirium and Tim Remophobic after these two games and the four points gleaned. Then, yes, Jane Fonda's son-in-law and NBCSN hair king, Kyle Martino, who was actually a US international during Bruce Arena's first coming, will jump on board to explain to us exactly what is it that the great General Arena does to bring the best out of America's cleated warriors in the CONCACAF theatre of war, and in so doing, propel himself near the top of both AP and the coaches poll on the list of great American Bruce's of all time, still lagging behind the boss, but he's now overtaken Bruce Villanche and grabs sole possession of second place. And of course, in the race to be the world's greatest football manager, Bruce, he's just lapped Steve Bruce 
for the third time. Before we begin, let's do this properly. Producer J-Dubs, cue red tail hawk that we thought was an eagle. By entering the George Michael sports machine, travelling back in time to last Friday, March 24th, the day US soccer changed forever for a second time, with the return of Bruce Arena 2.0, and to discuss the 6-0 night of delirium and goal orgying in San Jose and the sweaty 1-1 nipple twister in Panama City. We welcome back to the pod a dear friend, MLS and League MX veteran, turned ESPN analyst, live from LA, long-time GFOP, the one and only Mr. Hercules Gomez. <laughs> That's quite an introduction. Thank you. I don't think I've ever been introduced like that. Oh, we welcome you back to the pod. First things first, Herc. You're Vegas-born. I imagine right now, only Sebastian Janikowski is more excited about the prospect of the Las Vegas Raiders than you. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a Raider fan, so to see them come to my hometown is something else. I'm really excited. Ah, oh, Seabass. I've got to say, as a long-suffering Everton fan, I do feel for all GFOPs in Oakland, those poor fans, fate worse than relegation, relocation. But to the football, I, I-, I want to go back with you, Hurt, to Friday night. It feels like it was decades ago already. I, I did approach the Honduras game with a sense of trepidation for different reasons. I mean, two defeats, zero points in the hex. The US team had lost its swagger and collective identity. And the countdown to this Honduras game, it was such an odd, curious affair. Kicked off at 11 p.m. East Coast time. Massive revenge by West Coasters for their season-long torture of 4 a.m. Premier League wake-up calls. But that Friday dominated by the surreal policy machinations of that healthcare debacle and by the sporting juggernaut that is March Madness, it kind of felt like the biggest game of modern US men's soccer history. It was barely a blip on the cultural landscape. I mean, US soccer has rarely felt smaller to me in all the time I've lived here than Friday night. I was about 12 or 14 beers in at kickoff, faced a big tactical decision <laughs> of coffee, scotch or Guinness. I decided to go all three. But, oh, the best possible of beginnings. Fifth minute, Christian Pulisic, that great American, charged forward, mined the space. Josie found him. Josie deferred to him. Pulisic's shot was parried, fell at the feet of local boy Sebastian Legette, stabbed it home. Are we dreaming? 1-0. What a first half, Kirk Pulisic had. 18 years of age, given the keys, like the high school senior he is, to the proverbial car by dad, Bruce Arena in the heart of the US operation. Were you surprised in such a massive game played without a safety net that Pulisic was crowned our young king? To an extent, I, I think it's evident you can see the quality on this on this individual. I mean, I don't want to call him a boy because he's not playing like a boy at all. He's he's playing beyond his years. I think the way he sees the game, the 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 vision, the fearlessness, the ability to not let get get soaked into the moment, not not let it be more than you. Uh, is something else that he's shown he's capable of. So that did not surprise me. What did surprise me was the way the team played as a unit. I think the reason he was allowed to be so good was because of the players around him, the veteran supporting. And I, I hate saying supporting cast because that makes it seem like he's greater than or they are less than. Uh, but they played to their strengths. I, I think it was evident that everybody knew if they can get the first one, it would open up Honduras 
And as soon as you open them up and they were chasing the game, you could take advantage of those spaces. And, and boy, did they do that. I mean, you said it five, six minutes in, they got that goal and it really opened them up. The goal was great, Herc. But the moment I knew everything was going to come, the, new, the moment I knew everything was going to be okay came shortly afterwards. Pulisic made that run up the sideline. The ball hit the line, but didn't break it. And Tenacious P ran in on goal only for a, a CONCACAFI linesman to signal that it was out for a throw-in. I mean, his reaction, a great American reaction, are you blind? He screamed with the confidence <laughs> of a wizened veteran. I just loved his anger. I loved his unbridled commitment in the face of Pete CONCACAF, that footballing ecosystem with its own kind of crappy made-up rules. I knew then, Herc, that it was all going to be okay. Because, and am I exaggerating? We are, no, you're not. We are Christian Pulisic's team now. We are Christian Pulisic's team. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's not very far off. This this uh, this player has shown uh, just how massive he can be for you in the right setting. He continues to prove his worth. And if you talk about a player who maybe can prove his worth on the field, but because of his age, because of uh, how new he is to the team, maybe he would be timid. He didn't show it at all. He didn't show it with the rival. He didn't show it with his own teammates. He didn't show it with the contact officiating. Like you said, has been very dodgy and spotty. Uh, <laughs> he was up for the challenge on all, all fronts. How good is he, Herc? How good is he? Let's use Landon Donovan as a barometer. <laughs> well, see, it, it's very difficult using arguably the best player that the U.S. has ever produced as a barometer. What I can tell you is this kid is on another level. And if the way he's playing, if he continues to play that, he's on pace to be, I mean, we're not even talking Landon Donovan anymore. We're talking... Kyle Martino. <laughs> I don't know about the hair. He's not up there with the hair, but we're talking something astronomical like that because he's that type of... He's shown in the brief I mean, handful of games he's played with the U.S. Men's National Team how good he could actually be, but I think you're just starting to scratch the surface with him. Keep in mind, a lot of these players... It doesn't matter how good they are or how how much we think uh, of them. We're not going to find out who they are until we see them pretty much fall face first, till we see them in the face of adversity, see how they react uh, or how they lead their team or how they carry themselves in certain situations. But he's certainly shown me uh, he's, he's shown me no 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 indications that he's going to slow down anytime soon. He seems to be taking the team to the region, to the responsibility. Not everybody wants this type of responsibility. There are times where Landon himself didn't want the responsibility. He doesn't seem to be shying away from any of it. Yeah, I've got to say, all credit Landon for saying in the commentary box that Pulisic is so much further along than he, Landon, was at that age. But Pulisic is still 18. And I, I want to get your insight. You've been in locker rooms. You've been in the U.S. men's national team locker room. There is a hierarchy there, long-established hierarchy with the Tim Howards, the Clint Dempseys, the Jermaine Joneses, kind of at the top of the pyramid, the big dogs, Jürgen used to call them. How do the lifelong veterans inside that U.S. squad cede power to an 18-year-old? Well, it's, it's difficult, and I don't, I don't know if it's cede power, make way... Uh, it, I think it might be a combination of everything. You you kind of have to, if you can see the talent there, you have to let him be, but you have to guide him in the correct way where it's also not detrimental to himself. And I know people would say, what are you talking about? He plays in Dortmund. He plays in Champions League. He's doing this. It's a different animal when all of a sudden you're a role player for Dortmund and you get handed the keys and you become the face of U.S. soccer. You're talking about a country of $370 million, uh, where soccer is a millennial sport where it's on the up and up. And now this man 
and this boy is the face of it. It doesn't come that easy and that can be very detrimental. So those around you, the veteran leadership around you, the management, um, and I'm not just talking about coaching, I'm talking about the federation, uh, his own family, all that is crucial uh, to your upbringing, to your well-being. How hard is it for the vets? They've spent their whole lives as leaders to acquiesce to an 18-year-old. The, 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 the next day after the Honduras game, does Pulisic have to assert himself in training again? Do they come at him? I think you have to find a correct balance. I believe I, I heard a quote where Jermaine was like, yeah, he's a good player you know, because he's in Dortmund. It's a system where you know, they don't ask him too much responsibility of him. He just has to be a player, and we have to treat him the same way here. We have to let him just be a player and let him go from there. You know, I think he's right. I don't think you can – it's one thing to have him act responsible, but you don't give him the responsibility of having to do everything. It needs to be by committee. That's the only way he's going to continue to grow and grow in the right way. I, I've seen this many times with us. Us, as, you know, we as Americans, we're we're so we're so starving for the for our own Messi, our own Cristiano, that we we want to hand the keys to Mix Discovery. We want to hand the keys to Juan Agudelo. We want to hand the keys to Freddie Adu. It doesn't work like that. You don't get handed something in life. You have to earn it. Now. Everything I've seen out of this kid has shown me that he's willing to earn it. That's the great thing. Stewie Griffin, Luke Skywalker, Christian Pulisic, they're all in the same category for me. The game did fall into a disjointed rut for a period. Clumsy fair, then out of nowhere, Michael Bradley, power-balled, drove forward. The Honduras defence backed off like an NBA team, giving Draymond Green an open look at a three. And Michael just, oh... Michael Bradley, God love you, spanked the ball home. To me, a goal of vindication. I like to think Michael Bradley doesn't care what critics think, Herc. He knows that he's the godhead. But what is your take on Michael? Because he really became a target for the doubters after the 2014 World Cup when he floundered under the pressure of leading the team. Listen, Michael cares. Uh, if, if there's one player in that locker room who cares what you think of him, who cares how the team is doing, uh, who cares about the well-being of those of his team members? It's it's Michael Bradley. He is a true leader, uh, and part of that, I guess, uh, all that that he received, that stick that he received, was due to his move in the to the MLS, and that comes with the territory. Anytime you make six point five million dollars, I believe, uh, something like six something million dollars, and you're a defensive midfielder, you're going to be a target. Why? Because this is a position that if you're really not making headlines, that means you're doing a good job. That means you're doing your job. He just has to be solid. He has to, a lot, oftentimes what he does doesn't come out on a score sheet. Uh, it doesn't get talked about. It's about order on the field. It's about maintaining possession. It's about uh, the maintaining tempo, uh, putting out fires. He doesn't necessarily have to be the headline. And when people see what he's making and how he turned into the face of U.S. soccer. They expect more of him because he's been in all these leagues. They think he should be taking over games. That's not how it works. That's not how the world's game is today. Uh, it's systematic. Everybody plays their part, plays their role. He's got just as big a role on the field as he does off the field. You know, I, I look at Michael Bradley, and I've got to ask you about the mental side of the game. How much of his challenge is mental? Because when I watch him, he seems to be a player who thrives when he doesn't have to be the face of the team, when he doesn't have top billing. At Roma, he kind of had an incredible peak when he was given a clear tactical role, and he does so well 
when he's a key part of the team, as he was with the US when it was kind of Landon and Clint's team featuring Michael Bradley. But the moment he moved to Toronto and had to lift the team on his shoulders, or with the US on the eve of the 2014 World Cup when he was tasked by Jurgen with doing pretty much everything, create, attack, defend, set the table, cook the food, bust the tables, maitre d', the pressure, the weight of expectation, the burden of being the big dog just seemed too much for him. He tries too hard and his output inexorably becomes lesser. But here in a team on Friday night that was clearly Christian Pulisic's, Michael Bradley now as a role player, a critical lead role player, Herc, with clear instructions, he seemed to thrive once again. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say role player. I think he's very good where he plays. If he has to clean up uh, for those center backs, if you just sit him in front of the center backs, in front of that back four, and say, this is your place, this is your home, take care of it, he's very, very good. He's up there with the best in the world at doing that. But when you ask him all of a sudden to be a creative outlet, to get others involved in the offensive end, to do other things that other sixes around the world aren't asked to do, that's when he gets in trouble. That's not his main, that's not his main thing to do. He's, very, he's a very creative player playing out of the back. He has the ability to spring people from the back. But because he can do that doesn't mean that if you put him in an advanced position, he can continue to do that and be effective. This is where we got in trouble with Michael Bradley. Mikey, Michael Bradley himself will tell you he feels comfortable as a six, as that holding mid. He needs to stay there. Now, you give him that responsibility as that holding mid, and you put other players in front of him who now can be creative, a Nagby. Uh, it was Sebastian Legette. Uh, it was Pulisic. It was Clint Dempsey. It was Josie Altidore. And his function is to defend, is to or, is to maintain order, to maintain that possession, that tempo. Every once in a while, he can get into the attack, and every once in a while, he can produce that little bit of magic like he did for that goal. <sighs> what a goal it was. It would get worse for Honduras just five minutes later. Pulisic free Clint Dempsey with an exquisite Sam Wedge chip. And the Texans shoulder-controlled it, bullied the defender, had the folly to be in his vicinity, and then lashed home. A bullet. I think in Clint's mind, he was just taken out a hog on the first day of hunting on the scrub <laughs> around Nagadoches. But, I mean, my ground, there's an old Yiddish proverb, give a man a camo blazer of glory and he does world-class crap. Well, when we saw him last week in Seattle, Davo told Clint on stage that he was the best US player of his generation. You were teammates with Clint last season with the Seattle Sounders. How close to Pete Clint Dempsey is 34-year-old Clint Dempsey in your mind? Wow, I don't know about Pete Clint Dempsey because Pete Clint Dempsey is arguably the best player uh, you know, in the pool, the best player has ever played for the U.S. men's national team. It's, it's difficult, but that goal that he scored was Pete Clint Dempsey. You're talking about a very skillful play, a very good touch with his chest to bring it down, and the fight, the fight to keep himself in the play with the defender draped all over him and the finish into the upper shelf of the goal, it was something else. That goal was Pete Clint Dempsey. The only thing he needed to do is cut back the defender, meg him, and then put it in the upper V <laughs> to say it was really Clint Dempsey. But it was something else. And that I think that was a coming back moment for Clint. That was a, a coming home moment. You know, this is a man who shouldn't be playing. This is, this, if we're being honest, anybody else would have been retired. You're 34 years old. You're arguably one of the best players to ever play for your country. You've, you've played in the Premier. Uh, you've played in World Cups. You scored in three consecutive World Cups. Uh, 
um, God knows how many goals you've scored. You've been the face of U.S. soccer for how long? Copa America, Confederations Cup, Gold Cup. What else do you have to prove? You just saw your team win an MLS Cup without you. Why are you coming back? Yeah. What else do you have to prove? But that's him. It's a chip on his shoulder. It's that I want to prove everybody wrong, me against the world mentality, and he's back. <laughs> his first game back, look what he does. I've I got to say, it's a human delight. I couldn't agree more. A human delight to have watched Clint Dempsey battle through two heart procedures and then return, age 34, with just joy, tenacity, and wonder. I, I love post-game how this man who ground his way to the top of world football in the Premier League after a late developing career through all the kind of grind uh, of Fulham and then suddenly decamped to America after Premier League footballing was such a part of his identity and it, and it did seem to impact his sense of self initially. He just got his swagger back with Seattle and the heart condition shut down this season. And now he's returned with a, a renewed mentality, one of thankfulness. I mean, he told the media, he said, I'm grateful for every game. I just love how he's a man taking nothing for granted. It's truly amazing, Hurt, what a moment of mortality does to a, for a human being. You're absolutely right. And if there's one thing I've noticed about him is just how happy and content he is now with the moment. I think when something that you so cherish is snatched from you, you, you really, really value it when it's back. And I think that's where he's at. You know, I'm, I'm very happy for Clint, first and foremost, as, as, a, as, a, as a person, as a family man. He's a, I believe he's a father of four, and, and that comes first and foremost. But this is what he loves. This is what's given him and his family everything they have. And I can only imagine being in a situation where literally in a span of months, it was taken away from you. And you're helpless. And to go and have two procedures done for a heart condition and to say, I want to come back and I want to help my team play against CONCACAF opposition. You know, I want to play MLS again. I can't fathom the thinking behind it. Uh, it takes a special kind of person to have that determination and tenacity. And that's Clint pretty much in a nutshell. Second half, finished off the hat trick. The goal uh, that came against Panama, left him just one behind Landon's all-time US record of 57 goals, which is definitely now in his grasp. There will be more, so much more in the second half. Pulisic scored 13 seconds in. Clumsy first touch, followed by an epic finish. But a final whistle, he was full-on Kundan. I'm not, uh, he's the anointed one, I'm not exaggerating. And I, I, I did wonder, I did wonder her, what Jurgen Klinsmann must have felt watching. I mean, this golden child from Hershey, Pennsylvania, who's done exactly what Jürgen wanted every young American to do, to push himself out of the comfort zone, going to the highest level possible, playing Champions League football with Dortmund, taking the reins of that US team and elevating the US play. Is Pulisic proof, Herc, of what Jürgen preached? Well, you got to keep in mind, Christian Pulisic, he, he's been very good for Dortmund, but, but Dortmund didn't make him. Uh, this is a, this is a, a player that his formative years uh, were spent in, in residency in the states. Um, you could very well argue that those are the years that made him. But these opportunities, these life lessons, brushing shoulders with some of the world's elite, uh, that definitely polished him and sharpened him. You know, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, no doubt about that. But I feel for Jurgen. Uh, a lot of what he had at his disposal 
with the exception, I would say, of Jorge Villalfaña um, and maybe Sebastian Lejet. A lot of what Bruce had at his disposal was what Jurgen had at his disposal, but the outcomes were very different. And and listen, Jurgen had the arguably two of the three most hardest games in the hex. He had them as the first two games: USA at home. I'm sorry, Mexico at home, and Costa Rica away. But this is this is if you're a coach, uh, this is this is your life. This is a very ungrateful life. This is why I would never want to get into coaching. You're always going to be the bad guy to somebody. You know, you're you're based off of results as 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 you should be. I, I could only imagine what Jurgen was feeling. Um, it was essentially the same players, different outcome. You know, what, what was the biggest difference tactically? Was it just that this was simple, clean, basic football and wonderful, but very very basic, not ambitious? I think it was comfort, and you could see it on the field. You could see it leading up to that game. And, and this sounds terrible, but Jurgen spoke so much about wanting players out of their comfort levels. Well, sometimes it's very good. It's sometimes a good thing to be comfortable while you're on the on the field and off the field. I think players felt a sense of comfort, and with that comfort uh, came responsibility and came action. On the field, they looked like they had very clear defined roles. And I don't want to say this is as a knock to Jurgen, but it's a reality on the field. Uh, Michael Bradley didn't go bombing forward when he didn't need to. Sebastian Lejet even though he was playing on the right outside right, you know, would come in and support Bradley. Nagby would create from the wing. Pulisic sitting in underneath the two forwards. Uh, it was very effective. Now, Josie had a monster game. You know, Josie didn't score a hat trick or get get a goal or or, or get the headlines like like Christian and, and, and maybe Clint, but he was top three players on that field. He had a monster game. There were little things, little defined roles, just do your job type moments that I saw they gave me a sense of comfort. And you have to ask yourself uh, if it's because of the coaching change. <sighs> Friday night, like watching Christian Pulisic soccer theme bomb, it's for the night that he became a man. But on to Panama City, where we'd find out if Pulisic's form was real or merely a footballing version of Lynn's sanity. It was a steamy night. The US faced a Panama team that needed a win. They just lost 1-0 at TNT. It was a grinding spectacle. I mean, the US never play well when they're on B in sports. It was a very <laughs> different US performance, a very different US lineup. Jeff Cameron's quad injury meant that Graham Zuzi became a virgin international defender alongside Omar, Tim Ream and Villafana across the back. US midfield felt lesser. The injury to fallen hero, he died so that we could live. Sebastian Legette meant Jermaine Jones was in. Pulisic pushed out to the right. Why'd you move him out after that kid had propelled us to victory in San Jose? Is that just CONCACAF rules that you need more grit on the road, Herc? You know, I know, I know fans and, and sometimes other pundits will, will get uh, angry at the thought of why do we have to change for them, for the opposition? We're America. Uh, yes, yes. But sometimes you do have to cater because of the opposition, due to the opposition. That strength of that Panamanian side is down really the spine of that team. And when you talk about the spine of that team, it starts with the two center backs, Roman Torres, Felipe Baloy. These guys could be MMA fighters, a tag team, honestly. Two of the most physical center back tandems that you have in this region. They're very, very physical. You knew that game was going to be physical. You need to keep your playmakers out of the middle. That's their strength. They're very weak on the outsides. If you can isolate Christian Pulisic, if you can isolate Nagby, if you can isolate... Those players out wide and let Josie do the dirty work. You know, let Clint come underneath 
and and reap the rewards of, of anything that's that's created out why that comes into them but you create from the with that's where your spaces are that's where your opportunities will be that's where you can protect your playmakers oh, you bruce arena's biggest mistake was not fielding your brother you should have played Ulysses Gomez in the heart of that midfield. <laughs> have some MMA in there. I mean, it was, a, it was a very different performance. It wasn't easy on the eye. Avant-garde refereeing, 87-degree heat, field, terrible shape, recent rains, making it hard to even keep your footing. But can you describe to us the Star Wars cantina-like challenges of CONCACAF? I mean, what don't we understand just watching at yeah. home? What factors make it football like no other? Well, it depends on the venue, but you have anything from bags of urine being thrown at you to, to Ooh, yes. batteries, to coins on the field, uh, to the 3 a.m. serenades of mariachis or fireworks uh, or the pulling of the hotel fire alarms to, to foot-high grass in 100-degree weather and 90% humidity uh, to the opponent's who are just very physical and at times often cheap and are looking to get you after your game the only way they can, which is being physical and to foul you to the refereeing, which sometimes is with the three blind mice, uh, to the fan bases who are every touch screaming and yelling on top of you, to being in San Jose, Costa Rica in the old stadium where if you were in the away locker room, the home barra or group of fans are right above you, and they're bouncing and yelling and stomping so loud and so hard, you literally feel like the roof's going to cave in on you. All these CONCACAF tricks come out. The field conditions, the weather, the opponent, it all plays a factor on the field, off. It's a very difficult environment, a very difficult climate. It doesn't lend itself for a proper uh, match, a proper game of putting the ball on the floor and, 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 and actually trying to play. You have to grind out results, and there's no other way to say it. This is a World Cup qualifying unique to the rest of the world. I would argue that, and this is before Holland was struggling, but you could bring Holland, a team known for playing very well, and you could bring them into this qualifying group, and they would really struggle to play in some of these venues to play on the road. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think um, I, I don't think Holland could beat uh, Barbuda and uh, Antigua. Right now, which is it? Antigua and Barbuda. I think they'd do them. I, I mean, this game was pure, full-on CONCACAF. Pattern of the game, Panama giving American Joan of Arc, Pulisic, just an incredible CONCACAF welcome. Tested him with elbows, with physicality. Kind of physical challenge that Mourinho's United tried to dish out to Eden Hazard. Uh, I remember watching the Chicago Bulls with their hacker shack strategy. Panama countered with a kicker Pulisic strategy. It was just amazing to watch this 18-year-old be challenged, be provoked, be angered. And, and I wonder, would he, like watching a young Wayne Rooney so many times at that age, you'd see a red mist descend and he would inevitably kick out and be red-carded. I wondered how Pulisic would take it. He always took it like Diego Costa, where he channeled his fire and his anger into his play on the field. Because in the 39th minute, he drove into the box had the skill to turn Beloy inside out, but then showed the physical ability to hold off the wardrobe known as Roman Torres, to slide that ball to Dempsey, who did his trademark fall-over finish and rammed it home uh, from close range. Fifth assist for Pulisic since his debut last March. I just loved her in that celebration, how Pulisic just stood there 
and waited for Clint to come over and pay his dues. And, and Clint came over and paid his dues. There's a saying, and I'm sure Clint will be the first one to say it, real recognizes real. And that's what that moment was for me. It was, it was the recognition for Clint Dempsey that you're on my level. I respect you, all this coming together. But for Christian Pulisic on the field, and you're absolutely right, this was telling for me how he would react to all of this. You saw the first one where he got kicked and he immediately got up and he was firing. He was yelling at the referee. He was yelling at the player. I thought to myself, are we going to have a moment where one of our best players is red card because he doesn't understand the moment because they understand what he's playing against or who he's playing against. And you're absolutely, he rose to the occasion. He was physical with them, physical enough within the rules. He did not back down. He showed, he showed a sense of fight that I think most have not seen from him that we were all in waiting in anticipation to see how he would react. Oh. That goal was a thing of beauty. He combined skill with strength, with vision, with patience. He combined it all in one play in a very difficult setting against two very physical center backs, and he did not let the moment get to him. I loved it. Prison rules? You want to fight by prison rules? I just loved, love, love that he raised his game to that level. 18 goals in qualifying now for Clint Dempsey, most ever for the United States, even Devin Booker thinks Clint Dempsey scores a ton. If that goal was <laughs> Devin Booker, the next four minutes can only be described as Devin Nunes. And you've got to explain this to me. The US go one up, but it was Panama who were stung into life. How does that happen that you score and then your defense just buckles? The US became like Hodor holding the door. Yeah, and, and it's always the next five minutes, next 10 minutes after scoring a goal where you're most vulnerable. It seems like your defense, you let your guard down, essentially let that wall down. And you get scored off a throw-in. It's very, it's it's unacceptable. I don't know how you can explain that at this level, but if you're a professional footballer, professional soccer player, and you play, if you played at the highest level, rule number one, it's 101. You don't turn your back on the ball. There was a play that ball gets thrown into the mixer, into the box off a throw-in. Uh, Tim Ream turns his back. There's a little bit of pinball action, and it gets finished off. Leaves Tim Howard really in no man's land, not his fault. Uh, and Panama is right back in it. It's what my Arab friends call a fowder, total chaos. Tim Ream, a moment in which he became the American Chris Smalling. The second half was blah and calibrated football from the US. Michael Bradley Lesser, we created little. Great defending by Panama, terrible, terrible finishing by Panama and Tim Howard's patented gonad save. Bruce Arena called it a slugfest, 1-1 at the final. Was it a letdown? after Friday night? Or do you, Herc, say, look, this was just a proper hex road game in which you're glad to just get out there with a point and we should look more at the result than the quality of the performance? Layman's I would say it was a letdown, but I don't believe it was a letdown. I think it was a proper CONCACAF road away fixture. If you ask any coach here, I'm going to give you your home games and you tie every game on the road in CONCACAF, they would all sign it. Every single one of them would sign it. They would take those results. It's what this region is. It's a very difficult region. Uh, if you really thought they'd carry that momentum over off at 6-0 and go into Panama and stop them the same way, you haven't seen this region. And it's not just fans. There's There are pundits out there who are saying, well, we have to win. The U.S. has to win now because we played so well. That's one game. This, this program, this national team, these players have not done it in a consistent rate and doesn't mean that they're not good enough. But they haven't done it at a consistent rate. And I know it's Bruce's first game after, or since Andres' first game. But you can't go off one game. 
You can't all of a sudden throw everything else out the window because you look good in San Jose, California. It doesn't work that way in this region. If you could take that that road point, you take it. You sign it, you take it, you take it home, it's gold. I couldn't agree more. I mean, especially with all those injuries, no Fabian, no Bobby Wood, no Jordan Morris, no John Brooks. To get out there with a point, not bad at all. I've got to ask you in closing, if there was one thing that you look at over these two games and could point to a single upgrade this US team needs in one position, what would it be? And you can't say more neck tattoos. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know about upgrade, but a spot that's up for grabs for me is the number eight spot. I think Jermaine Jones, that spot next to Michael Bradley is up for grabs. Uh, there hasn't been a moment um, where I have felt there has been one spot and anybody can claim it like I, like I do that spot. I think Bruce is going to come to the realization that maybe he can't play Michael and Jermaine together anymore. There has to be a formation change. There has to be a tactical shift or it's got to be personnel. And that spot is up for grabs and it could really be anybody. A guy like Helen Acosta who's coming into his own who all of a sudden is being introduced to the program could really make that spot his own. Uh, Jermaine Jones um, at times has been the best player on the field, the heart of the team. But that pairing right now with him and Michael Bradley, it doesn't seem to be bearing the fruits uh, that we all expect. So that spot could literally be up for grabs, and that's something I expect to see over the course of the, of the year. If you were to grade the U.S. men's national team her under Bruce Arena after two Hex games, what would you give them? Well, well what I'd give them? I, I'd give them an A because I, I essentially what you brought Bruce Arena to do, he did. I, he's, a, he's a quick fix. He's that band-aid, so to speak, that my colleague Taylor Twelman uh, always always seems to to say he is. He wasn't brought in to change the way the U.S. play. He wasn't brought in to change the this next level soccer, um, this sexy soccer. We're gonna take it. We're gonna we're gonna be the elite of the world. He was brought in to he was brought in to get out of Concacaf. He was brought in to win. And this is the way you get out of Concacaf. This is the way you win. So if before this these two games you said we need four points, because I'm sure that's what Sunil and the Federation said. This is what he got. If you can get more, that's great. But this is what you need to do to get an A. Yeah. You got an A. I, I've got to credit Bruce for delivering in the clutch. I mean, some may have doubted. Bruce never did for a second. When J-Dubs, Lexi and I sat down with Bruce Arena uh, two weeks ago, we promised that we're going to make the talk of not qualifying for the World Cup go away and fast. And, and to me, he delivered on that like a slugger pointing to the bleachers before just dispatching that first pitch out of the ballpark for a home run. Six games remain in the hex. The U.S. are currently fourth in a playoff spot right now against an Asia team, TBD. Trinidad and Tobago await June 8th at home before we descend into the madness of Fortress Azteca. How certain, with four points, how certain are you percentage-wise that the U.S. are going to qualify? Well, percentage-wise, I believe the ESPN SPIs is something like 87%. That yeah, I need, right I, I need a real percentage from the mind of Hurt, though. I don't, they're, they're, <laughs> they're not that, not the, I love ESPN. I love them all. I love Bob Lee. I love Paul Carr. But the percentage crap, it makes my brain tingle. I need a Hurt prediction. Two of us. Two of us. You know, <laughs> it, it, they're going to qualify. I see them competing for the top spot in the region with Mexico. The scary thing is, Mexico's pulling away. Mexico could essentially, after their next two games, which are both at home, Honduras and the U.S. men's national team, if they win out, they're qualified before Gold Cup, before Combinations Cup for the World Cup. 
So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out for them. But the U.S. is going to qualify. The U.S. is the high percentage. I'm like you. I don't, I don't really care for these things. I don't care how the U.S. qualifies as long as they qualify. I don't see them getting into a playoff. That's not the trouble they'll be in. Um, I see them competing for the top spots. If they keep going with this formula, the, it's, and it's not that Bruce just created because Bob, Bob Bradley was of the same light. Uh, you secure points at home, you're three points at home, and you seal them on the road. If you keep going with that formula, you're going to qualify. You're going to compete for the top spot. It's been three World Cup cycles that the U.S. has, has been number one. I don't feel this should be the exception with the congested schedule that Mexico has, uh, with them possibly already being qualified before. They could let their foot off the pedal, and that makes room for the U.S. So we talk about percentages and certainties. Uh, it's difficult to give you a percentage, but I know they'll make it. Oh, the only statistics I, I put my stock in is the Audi Player Ratings Index. That's the only one that makes complete sense. <laughs> 15 points is traditionally what you need to qualify for the Hex. We're on four. Win our home games, draw the rest on the road, or win just once, and I believe we'll be there. The, the good news, we may not be the dominant power that we want ourselves to be right now, Herc, but our future is back in our own hands after this week. It is. It is. And I know people don't want to hear this, but let me just tame expectations a little and, and all this hype. Essentially, the same group with Jorgen um, was struggling. After one game, uh, you can't all of a sudden say, well, now we're the best in the world. We should be winning every single game. Doesn't matter where we play with essentially the same group sans Jorgen. It doesn't work like that. For all Jurgen's faults, he did a lot of good. Um, for all these players' faults, they did a lot. For all their for all their good, they also did a lot of bad uh, in his tenure. So now they're with Bruce. It has to be a combination. It doesn't change overnight. One game isn't going to change things. You need to build. You need to work. You need to let these players keep playing. Wise words, Herc. I think we just need to sort out that number eight position. Bruce, if you're listening, go and look at Mark Polisic, Christian's dad on YouTube, I think he might be the solution. Play, play both politics. Herc, <laughs> you're a beautiful man. We wish you and your great friend, oh, Max Bretos. What a nuanced warrior. What a remarkable man. Fantastic podcast uh, the two of you have together. Thanks for joining Thank us. You. We wish you, Herc, courage. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Next. Oh, the big question I've got coming out of this week of frenetic hex cosplay is how on earth does Bruce do it? What is his methodology, his style, his strengths, his limitations? To gain more insight into that, we welcome back to the pod NBCSN's Becky with the good hair, a man who played under Bruce Arena for the United States, all of his eight US caps and each one of his US goals came between 2002 and 2006 under the mighty Bruce. We welcome back to the pod, Mr. Carl Martino. Becky with the good hair. Oh, Raj, I love you. Oh, we know she was singing about you, Carl Martino. <laughs> I, I, I saw you last week in the flesh. You look yeah. gorgeous. It was the day before the Honduras game. Feels like a decade ago already in US football terms. And I'll be honest, I was very, very nervous. I was, you were freaking out. Yeah, I was freaking out, man. You, however, ooze complete confidence, not just about your hair, but about your US men's national team. And that confidence came from the fact that one of us just 
thinks about football, one of us who was a bona fide player and had been coached by Bruce Arena. And you said to me, Bruce has got this. And I want to know now, Kyle, can you describe what it is that Bruce does from a player's perspective that makes him so bloody effective? Yeah, I mean, Raj, listen to me. I, I'm the one that has an entire goal for the, U, the U.S. national team. <laughs> That's a um, beauty. You know, what it is, and, and, and I said this right when Bruce got the job, safest pair of hands that, that U.S. soccer can hire. And you've heard Bruce, uh, like a broken record, talking about experience. What Bruce is, 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 is coming home to that comfortable chair that you know you can just sit back and, and, and let all your worries sort of go away. Bruce is... Bruce is something for a lot of these players that, that are in the camp and some that, that don't know him. He, he's anachronistic in the sense that it, it might be a throwback to, to either an old style, if you want to say that, or an old coaching philosophy, but it's a comfort zone, which the dichotomy between Bruce and, and, and Jurgen rests really on, on, on that one point, that Jurgen's whole ethos was – Make everyone uncomfortable. Make everyone second-guess themselves. Make everyone second-guess what's going on and, and not be sure what position they're going to play on the day of the game, what formation is going to be used, you know, who, who they're rooming with when the meeting's happening, you know, what you're supposed to wear. He, he, Jurgen was trying to control every aspect of their life when they came into a U.S. soccer camp, when they were preparing for a U.S. game and then pull the rug out from them at every step. Um, and, and, and it was clear that it was, it was unsettling a lot of the team. And so Bruce is, is a, a complete opposite approach of trust these players, treat them like adults, don't have 15 meetings a day, let them go out to dinners on their own, have them play the position they play for their club team, go back to something that is muscle memory for them and, and do what he's done before. And um, I, I just, I think it was, it was a, a bit of a relief as you can see for some of the guys to fall back into that, into that comfort zone. You talk about mm -hmm. Bruce as a old couch. You make him sound like Jennifer convertibles. When I spoke to you, I just come from LA where we'd sat down with Bruce and a number of our listeners listening to the Bruce Arena pod said that they'd started a new drinking game. They raise a glass every time Bruce said experience or I trust my gut. <laughs> said they were very quickly hammered. But listening to you as a player who has experienced Bruce Arena, what you're saying is it's his simplicity, which is actually his strength. When he said before the Honduras game to his players, and I quote, work together, take ownership in what you're doing, treat the other players like professional athletes, just get on with your business. It's his simplicity, which is his strength. It's simplicity in terms of cultural differences. I, I'm not saying that, that Jurgen Klinsmann's strategy is wrong. It just might be wrong for, for an environment um, that, that, that isn't used to and hasn't been hardwired to, to perform that way. And... Um, it's the right idea to try and move the U.S. As a, as a soccer country towards that more professional, more cutthroat, more high-pressured, more uh, pressure cooker situation that Jurgen tried to create. But I just think Jurgen tried to do it a bit too quickly without all the ingredients that he needed to, to do that. And um, 
you know, I, I think that Bruce, in a short-term sense, listen, I'm not saying Bruce is the guy to turn U.S. soccer into what everyone wants it to be, the, the type of team that can go into, you know, the, the, the semifinals or make it to a World Cup final, even though Bruce was, was one, you know, handball away in that game against Germany in, in 2002 from doing that. But, but, but he, he is what you need when you need to steady the ship before you decide what the next step is, who, who the next Jurgen Klinsmann is. I mean, if, if this was a rom-com, Jurgen Klinsmann was was you know sort of the 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 beautiful blonde in slow motion and and Bruce is Molly Ringwall you know I mean the one that you didn't realize you loved the entire movie until the end and you know he's he's just he's going to make the group comfortable he's going to give them uh, a little bit of power back he's going to shorten training sessions make them very sharp make them very simple make sure everyone's competing he's going to say the right things in terms of 1v1 man management he's the best coach i've ever had and i'll, and I'll tell you a story i was on a, a bus back from a from a u.s um, practice and and um bruce asked me to sit in the seat next to him before i made my way to the back to try to sit with the cool kids and um he said, how, how do you think camp's going for you, Kyle? And I said, yeah, I, I think it's going pretty good. And he said, I just want to say one thing. Don't try to be like Clint Mathis. And at the time, I, I had no idea what he meant. And I was incredulous. And I was like, what on earth is he talking about? Clint's this incredible player. He's this gregarious guy. He's a personality. And I think he maybe realized, side note, that Clint Mathis and I had, had gone out a little too late together the night before going to pick up oh, Wilmer Valderrama. We're over at his house picking up his Aston Martin to go to a club. Uh, I don't know. With Andrew it was Shoe. a bad idea. I picked you. Shoe and was so somehow Bruce, in the mix. Bruce realized I was, I was enamored with this guy and that he was sending me down the wrong path. And, um, you know, he, 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 he could see that and wanted to sort of help me get on the right track. And that's just a tiny example of... He knows who to light a fire under. He knows who to hug. All those sort of cliches about a manager understanding his players. You make Bruce sound like dad when he tells you, Kyle Martino, don't be like Clint Mathis. He really means don't get a mohawk. For you, it would be like a war cry. (laughs) And thinking of Bruce as Molly Ringwald, I've always maintained that if Molly Ringwald was the coach of the US team in 2002, we would have beaten Germany. But the way I think about the difference between Jürgen and Bruce, Jürgen, a man of big... Bold visions and lofty dreams, you know, talking about attacking with 10, defending with 10, dominating games in an American style. Bruce is a realist. I mean, both guys, if they were contestants on one of those cooking channel shows where they get handed a bunch of leftovers from the fridge and challenged to cook their best meal in five minutes, Jürgen would go off and try and impress by instantly conjuring like massa grade sushi. Bruce, your pragmatic realist, he'd just say, you know what? I'm just going to make a nice stir fry. Jürgen, five minutes the bell goes, he's offering up a plate of slop. Bruce, solid, surprisingly tasty, same ingredients, totally different outcome. Bruce, big on stir fries. And the US players ultimately, they just eat that up. In terms of the interesting and unprecedented scenario we had of Jürgen being both technical director and coach, Bruce doesn't have the complications of having to deliver a future version of the team. I mean, all he does is win now, and that's all he cares about. And so he's very realistic in terms of telling you what he has and who he expects the team to be. You don't, you don't see 
and, and, you know, his press conference the other day was just typical Bruce of him just being incredibly sarcastic, not answering the questions, because he kind of doesn't care what the media thinks of him. He cares what, what the group is doing, what the chemistry is like, how's the harmony in the team. And so he kind of does that as a sort of, you know, it, it's Mourinho-esque a little bit in the way he tries to keep the media at bay and not really let them in. Jurgen was incredibly inviting to the media. He, he wanted to tell them everything he was thinking, and he wanted to, in a way, kind of control them a little bit so that the outward perception was what, what he wanted it to sound like. But Bruce, I mean, he just, he's going to tell you, listen, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, getting to a World Cup's all that counts, and I'm not worried about beating, you know, Argentina or, or, or being able to play a 4-3-3 and go toe-to-toe with anyone. I mean, he just, he, you're never going to hear that from him. And I think players like that, that in a weird way, he kind of lowers the bar publicly so that the guys can go over-deliver. No one expected that 6-0 against Honduras, and, and you could see how free <sighs> the guys played with. The U.S. press, they, they love Bruce. They revere him. I think they fear him a little bit. He's always kept them at arm's length with his own brand of sarcastic dad humor. I mean, I thought it was fascinating. Before the last World Cup, Jurgen said in an interview, the U.S. are not going to win the World Cup, and the soccer world went mad. It's disgusting that a U.S. coach says we're not going to win a tournament we're entering. In our interview last week, Bruce said exactly the same thing. He said, we're not going to win the World Cup. And it was cricket. Bruce Arena had said it. Of course, it was obvious. And I think there's two very different contexts with the same words, very different reactions. But I've got to ask you a couple of quick ones. Could it be that American soccer players, who are still the ones who were born here, born of a different footballing culture, not better or worse, just different to their European peers, and Bruce Arena simply speaks the language, the American soccer language, fluently in a way that Jurgen never got to grips with. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And I, I think that um, Bruce understands all of the, the minutiae and, and all the moving parts of our soccer landscape, which is remarkably unique. And I think that's one of the things that, that tormented Jurgen Klinsmann was that the formula that has worked in, in other countries and what he's seen as a successful formula in, in, in these countries, specifically Germany, um, wasn't, wasn't getting the results that he anticipated. And, you know, he was surprised. Jurgen Klinsmann was so surprised about CONCACAF when he went on the road and the conditions and certain things that shouldn't have surprised him, that won't surprise Bruce. But Bruce knows what it's like to have a player on your team that went to college for four years and what it's like to, you know, what the inside the American soccer player's mind looks like. And in a way, that's the sort of good and bad of Bruce. That's why he can get the best out of this group, but that might not be why he's the right guy for the future. There are many things about Jurgen Klinsmann that I liked that I thought were where this country needed to go in terms of creating a more professional environment that's conducive to um, being more consistent in high-pressure situations on the world stage. So, I, again, I just go back to safest pair of hands in what we need right now, which is a team that's going to qualify for and compete well in a World Cup. And then after that, kind of back to the drawing board a little bit. When I interviewed him again last week, we asked him why he's never gone abroad. And he told me he'd once turned down an offer from Danish club side Bromby. Why do you think he never tried to prove himself abroad? I was texting with him the other day, congratulating him on, on, on things so far. And 
I, and he I, said, who this? Yeah, yeah. He said, he said new, new phone, who this? <laughs> um, and, and I wonder if it's kind of a similar thing to, to Landon. You know, there's a reason both those guys, are, it's almost like a father-son relationship, where they have the ability to do it. You know, Landon in a short time at Everton kind of showed that. But, but I just wonder if there's a fear... Landon is the, was the, the face of and still is the big name that drove this game forward. Bruce is that in, in a coaching version. I wonder if, if both of them feared how detrimental it would be to, to try and go over there, and, and, and maybe it doesn't, it doesn't work for all the reasons that we were kind of just talking about. Bruce goes over there, and, and it, it, it tarnishes a little bit of this 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 sort of myth of an, an, an enigma that he is based on how much success he's been able to find of, at all these different levels. You know, what happens if he goes and does what Bob did um, and, and doesn't get a really fair shake with a team that, that, that is already kind of struggling? And next thing you know, it kind of blows up what is his most important motivating factor, which is, look, I find success everywhere I go. And, and players respond to success. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you just want a coach who gets you, who you trust, who you think can get your team to win. And um, maybe if Bruce goes abroad and, and gets knocked down a couple pegs, he loses that magic a little bit. Could, could he do it abroad, Kyle? Uh, I think so, but... I think, listen, if there were some, some difficulties for Bob in, in England, which there were in, in, in kind of literally and figuratively that the, speaking the, the American soccer language, um, Bruce is a much more Americanized virgin, version of a soccer coach than, than Bob is. I mean, based on playing with him, and listen, I had Rude Hullett as my coach, and I thought he was absolutely one of the most – uh, cocky and 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 lazy uh, coaches I'd ever seen who completely couldn't connect with with the group. Um, you know, Bruce I think has all of the qualities to be able to succeed there, but sometimes it's just o- overcoming that perception that that you don't belong that might be you know might be the the, the difficult uh, difficult one to you know to get over. To summate what you've just told me, Bruce Arena for Arsenal. Kyle, <laughs> exactly. All exactly. hail Bruce Arena. Uh, I loved the tweet uh, yesterday from Matt Brian Scaretto who tweeted, nine months to the day after Iceland beat England, an Icelandic hospital resident reports a, quote, record number of epidurals in the maternity unit. Let's all make babies, America, and let's all call <laughs> them Bruce. Godspeed, Kyle, and thank you. The Bruce is loose. <laughs> So that's it for the US. What a week. We may not yet be back to what we were, the dominant power in our region. But I think we've seen enough evidence to prove that we are headed in that direction. The elevator, if you will, is going up as opposed to feeling like the cables just snapped and we're all plummeting down the shaft to our doom. Like the Netherlands. There's hope again. We can dream again. We can enjoy our football. Yes, we can enjoy watching US men run around in their clown pyjamas. We will win some. We will lose some. But the days of simmering friction and darkness are, please God, please God, over. Brace yourself, CONCACAF. There's going to be so much Bruce Arena winning. Tim Reen is going to become tired 
of all the winning. Vlad Putin, get the Guinness ready. The US, we're coming to Russia. We're coming. Edward Snowden, Olga Corbett, Vladimir Nabokov, we are coming for you. In fact, why hold the bloody tournament? Just give us the trophy now. I want to say, I don't believe in coincidences. We don't here. Producer J-Dubs does. I do not. And I know you don't either, dear listener. The US struggle. Then we at Men in Blazers open that important cultural centre of learning, a storehouse of knowledge. The Men in Blazers People's History of American Soccer Hall of Fame. Composed of the American soccer flotsam and jetsam that you have gathering dust in your Finnish basements and attics all over America. Ephemera from the pioneering days of US soccer. The posters, the t-shirts, the pennants, the glassware, the crap. We asked you last week to send it to us in return for a patch. And you have. I'm looking right now at an amazing, and I don't have the words for this 1994 US men's national team promotional World Cup poster. It's called the official unofficial World Cup poster sent in by Richard Swift of Mamaroneck, New York. He writes, this once hung over my bed. Now it can hang over Rog and Davos. Yes, Richard, we both sleep in single beds, side by side, just like Bert and Ernie. Oh, I'd love to sleep like Bert and Ernie with Dabo. The poster, it is amazing. We should post this. We really should, J-Dubs. It's the team in their stonewashed jersey with stonewashed dad jeans to complete the look. They all have their arms around each other. But Miola and Lalas, they are dead centre. They are dominating the photo. Lalas has got sunglasses on. He's like Johnny Marr stealing a Smith's photo from Morrissey. He knows he's the focal point, the centre of attention. We're going to pop this up on Facebook. It is gorgeous. Keep your stuff coming into us. We are going to build this museum. We are going to make American crap great again. We will feature one piece a week. So send yours with a note telling us about its backstory, its meaning to you. Send it to us at Men in Blazers, Care of Embassy Row, 325 Hudson Street, 7th floor, New York, New York, 10013. And by the number of you that have started to come to 325 Hudson Street, I believe on TripAdvisor, it's now the 17,463rd most popular tourist attraction in New York City. In other World Cup news, yes, other World Cup games happened. UEFA qualifying in Europe. Oh, darkness, a barbaric. I can't say Joe Theismann-esque assault by Aston Villa's Neil Taylor on beloved Irishman. Seamus Coleman left the Everton winger in agony. It was horrific. He's out of the game for up to a year, yet a year, with a broken tibia and fibula. He's a remarkable human being. And I just say, get well soon, Seamus, because the game is lesser without you. England cruised on, as they do in qualifying, beating Lithuania 2-0. First goal from MLS reject turned England saviour, Jermaine Defoe, age 34. Proving old is the new young thanks to his vegan diet. Defoe doing it for England, Clint doing it for the US. How long can it be before Tony Hibbert comes out of retirement and starts slaying all comers again? Damn it, my dreams of a professional career might just live again for myself. The Netherlands, sorry Dutch GFOPs, slumped to a 2-0 defeat against Bulgaria and they fired coach Danny Blint in the wake, they are in danger of failing to qualify for a second straight major tournament, which is, to me, heartbreakingly sad. 
and also a cautionary tale. In South America, a rejuvenated Brazil, born again, became the first team to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Probably even sweeter for them, their arch rivals, Argentina. What a dark week they've had. Last Thursday, Lionel Messi scored the only goal against Chile. But, oh my God, he was then shockingly suspended for four games for the arch sin of mouthing off at the referee. An arbitrary punishment, but a devastating one because his teammates then fell 2-0 in the high altitude of Bolivia. And Argentina are now fifth outside the automatic qualification places in a playoff spot in the hyper-competitive Commodore region. I mean, they remain, to me, one of the biggest misuses of oodles of talent in world football. Should be a trophy for that. Football, thank God, is back this weekend in the Premier League. Darkness. A game to watch behind the couch. Liverpool, Everton, the Merseyside derby. Ah, thank you, Premier League schedulers, for getting my weekend off to the greatest possible start by making this one 7.30 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Can't boy have an iota of happiness at the weekend without all plummeting into darkness. Arsenal fans may well feel similar, but they have to wait till Sunday, 11 a.m. Manchester City roll uh, into the aeroplane flight path known as the Emirates. And MLS fans, New England, travel cross-country to face Portland, 9 p.m. on ESPN2. No Davo, so no Davo entry for the Emporium. Uh, I'm going to channel him and, and just put in a roll of gold-plated toilet roll in his memory. My book pick, if we had an Emporium, would be a beautiful, beautiful tome. Stranger in the Woods, the extraordinary story of the last true hermit by Michael Finkel. What a short yet fantastically thought-provoking volume this was about a bloke. We've all been there. Without ambition, without direction, he just decided to melt away into the main woods. He jerry-rigged a compound that could fend off the minus 20 winter snows while he just sat there reading Dostoevsky and listening to the radio. Sounds amazing. He avoided all human contact, emerging only to pull off a suspected 1,080 break-ins over the course of 27 years. They were minor kind of holiday cabin break-ins. He just kind of plucked the life necessities like candy, batteries, or propane, that he needed. The writer meets the hermit in prison and really plums what it's like to live totally off the grid. I've always been fascinated by hermits. It might not surprise you. I love the philosophy of Lao Tzu, China's 6th century protester hermit, who promoted the poetic notion of the pleasures of forsaking society and living in harmony with the seasons. But when you read this book, that kind of kicks the romanticism out of this notion, but it remains a humanly charming read none the less. No Davo, but he will be back next week. We're going to be on NBCSN. Oh, Wednesday, April 5th, 5.30pm, only after City and United face up. Is that New York City FC versus Atlanta United or is it the fake ones in Manchester? We'll know by Wednesday. We will then mount mopeds. Yes, I crap you not. Leave our panic room and charge to the Gramercy Theatre that night for the Golden Blazer. I can't believe we're doing these back-to-back. But at the same time, I cannot wait. J-Dubs is nodding. I cannot wait for that night. I really can't. 
just the number of you who are traveling from across the country to be in our loving arms. And by the way, it is a remarkable, a remarkable awardee. We are going to kick the, uh, the, the show out as a pod. We're also going to be doing a drink right after. There's going to be a Guinness raised right after the Golden Blazer. Please, God, with the awardee, he, she, or it is, is really whoa, amazing. I, I've been weaving the sequins into that Golden Blazer. My fingers are bloody, but they're bloody with joy. Incidentally, fantastic GFOP at Jason Kennedy has tweeted us. He said, I have two tickets to your crap show next week. I would love to donate them to a military veteran or a family of a veteran. If anybody uh, of that ilk, that remarkable ilk, wants to subject themselves to the horrors of our show, tweet at Jason L. Kennedy, and he will give you the tickets that he brought for you. What a remarkable gesture. We can't wait to see all of you. That's it. I want to thank Herc. I want to thank Kyle for joining us. I want to thank Mr. Bruce Arena for just leading us through the sea, which he split by hitting a rock with his staff. I want to thank Mr. and Mrs. Polisic for just that special night that they had together, wherever it was. I wonder where it was. I wonder what happened. I wonder what music was playing. But we need to recreate that many, many more times, just for youth development's sake alone. But thank you. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Polisic. You've given us an incredible amount of joy. And more than anything, you've given us hope and you've given us the permission to dream again. Love you to all the GFOPs. I love and miss you, Davo. I love and miss you, Dabo. Uh, that's it. We will be back next Wednesday. And until then, courage, Godspeed, Kung Fu fighting America. <laughs>